Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob, and I'm reading today from a sermon that was once preached by Charles Spurgeon. Now, this message is from a collection of Spurgeon messages created by Perry Boardman. It's known as Spurgeon's Gems. Today's message is from volume two. It's number one, actually number 54, number one in that second volume, but number 54 of sermons altogether. It's called Christ Our Passover, and the text is 1 Corinthians 5, 7, for even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. The more you read the Bible, the more you meditate upon it, the more you'll be astonished with it. He who is but a casual reader of the Bible does not know the height, the depth, the length, and breadth of the mighty meanings contained in its pages. There are certain times when I discover a new vein of thought and I put my hand to my head and I say in astonishment, oh, it is wonderful, wonderful that I never saw this before in the scriptures. You'll find the scriptures enlarge as you enter them. The more you study them, the less you'll appear to know of them, for they widen out as we approach them. Especially will you find this the case with the typical parts of God's Word. Most of the historical books were intended to be types, either of dispensations or experiences or offices of Jesus Christ. Study the Bible with this as a key, and you'll not blame Herbert when he calls it not only the book of God, but the God of books. One of the most interesting points of the scriptures is their constant tendency to display Christ. And perhaps one of the most beautiful figures under which Jesus Christ is ever exhibited in sacred writ is the Passover Paschal Lamb. It is Christ of whom we are about to speak tonight. Israel was in Egypt in extreme bondage. The severity of their slavery had continually increased till it was so oppressive that their incessant groans went up to heaven. God, who avenges his own elect, though they cry day and night to him, at last determined that he would direct a fearful blow against Egypt's king and Egypt's nation and deliver his own people. We can picture the anxieties and the anticipations of Israel, but we can scarcely sympathize with them unless we as Christians have had the same deliverance from spiritual Egypt. Let us, brethren, go back to the day in our experience when we abode in the land of Egypt, working in the brick kills of sin, toiling to make ourselves better, and finding it to be of no avail. Let us recall that memorable night, the beginning of months, the commencement of a new life in our spirit, and the beginning of an altogether new era in our soul. The word of God struck the blow at our sin. He gave us Jesus Christ, our sacrifice. And in that night, we went out of Egypt. Although we have passed through the wilderness since then and have fought the Amalekites, have trodden on the fiery serpent, we've been scorched by the heat and frozen by the snows, Yet we have never since that time gone back to Egypt. Although our hearts may sometimes have desired the, the leeks, the onions, the flesh pots of Egypt, yet we have never been brought into slavery since then. So come, let us keep the Passover this night and think of the night 
when the Lord delivered us out of Egypt. Let us behold our Savior Jesus as the paschal lamb on which we feed. Yea, let us not only look at him as such, but let us sit down tonight at his table. Let us eat of his flesh and drink of his blood, for his flesh is meat indeed, his blood is drink indeed. In holy solemnity, let our hearts approach that ancient supper. Let's go back to Egypt's darkness. And by holy contemplation, behold, instead of the destroying angel, the angel of the covenant at the head of the feast, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. I shall not have time tonight to enter into the whole history and mystery of the Passover. You will not understand me to be tonight preaching concerning the whole of it, but a few prominent points therein as a part of them. It would require a dozen sermons to do so. In fact, a book as large as Carl upon Job, if we could find a divine equally prolix and equally sensible. But we shall, first of all, look at the Lord Jesus Christ and show how he corresponds with the paschal lamb and endeavor to bring you to the two points of having his blood sprinkled on you and having fed on him. First then, Jesus Christ is typified here under the paschal lamb. And should there be one of the seed of Abraham here who has never seen Christ to be the Messiah, I beg his special attention to that which I am to advance. When I speak of the Lord Jesus as none other than the Lamb of God, slain for the deliverance of his chosen people, follow me with your Bibles and open first at the 12th chapter of Exodus. We commence, first of all, with the victim, the Lamb. How fine a picture of Christ. No other creature could so well have typified him who was holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners. Being also the emblem of sacrifice, it most sweetly portrayed our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Search natural history through, and though you will find other emblems which set forth different characteristics of his nature and admirably display him to our souls, yet there is none which seems to appropriate to the person of our beloved Lord as that of the Lamb. A child would at once perceive the likeness between a Lamb and Jesus Christ, so gentle and innocent so mild and harmless, neither hurting others nor seeming to have the power to resent an injury. The poet says, A humble man before his foes, a weary man and full of woes. What tortures the sheepish race have received from us? How are they, though innocent, continually slaughtered for our food? Their skin is dragged from their backs, their wool is shorn to give us a garment, and so the Lord Jesus Christ, our glorious Master, does give us his garments that we may be clothed with them. He is torn in sunder for us, his, his very blood is poured out for our sins. Harmless and holy, a glorious sacrifice for the sins of all his children. Thus the paschal lamb might well convey to the pious Hebrew the person of a suffering, silent, patient, harmless Messiah. 
Look further down. It was a lamb without blemish. A blemished lamb, if it had the smallest speck of disease, the least wound, would not have been allowed for a Passover. The priest would not have suffered it to be slaughtered, nor would God have accepted the sacrifice at his hands. It must be a lamb without blemish. And was not Jesus Christ even such from his birth, unblemished, born of the pure Virgin Mary, begotten of the Holy Ghost, without a taint of sin? His soul was pure and spotless as the driven snow, white, clear, perfect, and his life was the same. In him was no sin. He took our infirmities and bore our sorrows on the cross. He was in all points tempted as we are. But there was that sweet exception, yet without sin. A lamb without blemish. You who have known the Lord, who have tasted of his grace, who have held fellowship with him, does not your heart acknowledge that he is a lamb without blemish? Can you find any fault with your Savior? Have you ought to lay to his charge? Has his truthfulness departed? Have his words been broken? Have his promises failed? Has he forgotten his engagements? And in any respect, can you find in him any blemish? No, no, no. He is the unblemished lamb, the pure, the spotless, the immaculate, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And in him, there is no sin. Go on further down the chapter. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. I need not stop to consider the reason why the male was chosen. We only note that it was to be a male of the first year. Then it was in its prime. Then its strength was unexhausted. Then its power was just ripened into maturity and perfection. God would not have an untimely fruit. God would not have that offered which had not come to maturity. And so our Lord Jesus Christ had just come to the ripeness of manhood when he was offered. At 34 years of age was he sacrificed for our sins. He was then hale and strong, although his body may have been emaciated by suffering and his face more marred than that of any other man. Yet was he then in the perfection of manhood. Methinks I see him then, his goodly beard flowing down upon his breast. I, I see him with his eyes full of genius, his form erect, his mien majestic, his energy entire, his whole frame in full development, a real man, a magnificent man, fairer than the sons of men, a lamb not only without blemish, but with his powers fully brought out. Such was Jesus Christ, a lamb of the first year, not a boy, and not a lad, and not a young man, but a full man, that he might give his soul unto us. He did not give himself to die for us when he was a youth, for he would not then have given all he was to be. He did not give himself to die for us when he was an old age, for then would he have given himself when he was in decay, but just in his maturity. In his very prime, then Jesus Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Moreover, at the time of his death, Christ was full of life. For we are informed by one of the evangelists that he cried with a loud voice, 
and gave up the ghost. This is a sign that Jesus did not die through weakness, nor through decay of nature. His soul was strong within him. He was still the lamb of the first year. Still was he mighty. He could, if he pleased, even on the cross, have unlocked his hands from their iron bolts and descending from the tree of infamy, have driven his astonished foes before him like deer scattered by a lion. Yet did he meekly yield, yield obedience unto death. My soul, can you not see your Jesus here, the unblemished lamb of the first year, strong and mighty? Oh, my heart, does not the thought rise up if Jesus consecrated himself to you when he was thus in all his strength and vigor? Should not I in youth dedicate myself to him? And if I am in manhood, how am I doubly bound to give my strength to him? If I am in old age, still should I seek while the little remains to consecrate that little to him. If he gave his all to me, which was much, should I not give my little all to him? Should I not feel bound to consecrate myself entirely to his service, to lay body, soul, and spirit, time, talents, all, upon his altar. And though I am not an unblemished lamb, yet I am happy that as the leavened cake was accepted with the sacrifice, though never burned with it, I, though a a leavened cake may be offered on the altar with my Lord and Savior, the Lord's burnt offering. And so, though impure and full of leaven, I may be accepted in the beloved, an offering of a sweet savor, acceptable unto the Lord my God, Here is Jesus, beloved, a lamb without blemish, a lamb of the first year. Well, the subject now expands and the interest deepens. Let me have your very serious consideration to the next point, which has much gratified me in its discovery and which will instruct you in the relation. In the sixth verse of the twelfth chapter of Exodus, We are told that this lamb, which should be offered at the Passover, was to be selected four days before its sacrifice and to be kept apart. It says, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house Take it according to the number of the souls. Every man, according to his eating, shall make your count for the lamb. And then the sixth verse says, And you shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month. For four days this lamb, chosen to be offered, was taken away from the rest of the flock, kept alone by itself, for two reasons. Partly that by its constant bleatings they might be put in remembrance of the solemn feast which was to be celebrated. Moreover, that during the four days they might be quite assured that it had no blemish. For during that time it was subject to constant inspection in order that they might be certain that it had no hurt or injury that would render it unacceptable to the Lord. And now, brethren, a remarkable fact flashes before you. Just as this lamb was separated four days, 
The ancient allegories used to say that Christ was separated four years. Four years after he left his father's house, he went into the wilderness and was tempted of the devil. Four years after his baptism, he was sacrificed for us. But there is another better than that. After four days, or about four days, before his crucifixion, Jesus Christ rode in triumph through the streets of Jerusalem. He was thus openly set apart as being distinct from mankind. He, on the donkey, rode up to the temple that all might see him to be Judah's lamb, chosen of God, ordained from the foundation of the world. And what is more remarkable still, during those four days, you will see, if you turn to the Gospels at your leisure, that as much is recorded of what he did and said as through all the other part of his life. During those four days, he upbraided the fig tree. Straightway it withered. It was then that he drove the buyers and sellers from the temple. It was then that he rebuked the priests and elders by telling them the similitude of the two sons, one of whom said he would go and did not, the other who said he would not go and went. It was then that he narrated the parable of the husbandmen who slew those who were sent to them. Afterwards he gave the parable of the marriage of the king's son. Then comes his parable concerning the man who went into the feast not having on a wedding garment. And then also the parable concerning the ten virgins, five of whom were wise, five of whom were foolish. Then comes the chapter of very striking denunciations against the Pharisees. Woe unto you, O you blind Pharisees! Cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter. Then also comes that long chapter of prophecy concerning what should happen at the siege of Jerusalem and an account of the dissolution of the world. Learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh. I will not trouble you by telling you here that at the same time he gave them that splendid description of the day of judgment when the sheep shall be divided from the goats. In fact, the most splendid utterances of Jesus were recorded as having taken place within these four days. Just as the lamb separated from its fellows did bleat more than ever during the four days, so did Jesus during those four days speak more. And if you want to find a choice saying of Jesus, turn to the account of the last four days ministry to find it. There you'll find that chapter, Let Not Your Heart Be Troubled. There also his great prayer, Father, I will, and so on. The greatest things he did, he did in the last four days when he was set apart. And there's one more thing to which I beg your particular attention, and that is that during those four days, I told you that the Lamb was subject to the closest scrutiny. So also during those four days, it is singular to relate that Jesus Christ was examined by all classes of persons. It was during those four days that the lawyer asked him which was the greatest commandment. He said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your might, and love thy neighbor as thyself. It was then that the Herodians came and questioned him about the tribute money. 
It was then that the Pharisees tempted him. It was then also that the Sadducees tried him upon the subject of the resurrection. He was tried by all classes and grades, Herodians, Pharisees, Sadducees, lawyers, and the common people. It was during these four days that he was examined. But how did he come forth? (laughs) An immaculate lamb. The officers said, Never man spake like this man. His foes found none who could even bear false witness against him, such as agreed together. Pilate declared, I find no fault in him. Ah, he would not have been fit for the paschal lamb had a single blemish have been discovered, but I find no fault in him was the utterance of the great chief magistrate who thereby declared that the lamb might be eaten at God's Passover, the symbol and the means of the deliverance of God's people. Oh, beloved, you have only to study the scriptures to find out wondrous things in them. You have only to search deeply and you'll stand amazed at their richness. You'll find God's word to be a very precious word. The more you live by it and study it, the more will it be endured and endeared to your minds. By the next thing we must mark, the place where this lamb was to be killed, which peculiarly sets forth that it must be Jesus Christ. The first Passover was held in Egypt. The second Passover was held in the wilderness. But we do not read that there were more than these two Passovers celebrated until the Israelites came to Canaan. And then if you turn to a passage in Deuteronomy, the 16th chapter, you'll find that God no longer allowed them to slay the lamb in their own houses, but appointed a place for its celebration. In the wilderness, they brought their offerings to the tabernacle where the lamb was slaughtered. But at its first appointment in Egypt, of course, they had no special place to which they took the lamb to be sacrificed. Afterwards, we read in the 16th of Deuteronomy, the 5th verse, Thou mayest not sacrifice the Passover within any of thy gates, which the Lord thy God giveth thee, but at the place which the Lord thy God shall choose to place his name in, there thou shalt sacrifice the Passover at even, at the going down of the sun, at the season that thou camest forth out of Egypt. It was in Jerusalem that men ought to worship for salvation was of the Jews. There was God's palace. There his altar smoked, and there only might the paschal lamb be killed. And so was our blessed Lord led to Jerusalem. The infuriated throng dragged him along the city. In Jerusalem, our lamb was sacrificed for us. It was at the precise spot where God had ordained that it should be. Oh, if that mob who gathered around him at Nazareth, had been able to push him headlong down the hill, then Christ could not have died at Jerusalem. But as he said, a prophet cannot perish out of Jerusalem. So was it true that the king of all prophets could not do otherwise. The prophecies concerning him would not have been fulfilled. Thou shalt kill the lamb in the place The Lord thy God shall appoint. He was sacrificed in that very place. Thus again you have an incidental proof that Jesus Christ was the paschal lamb 
for his people. The next point is the manner of his death. I think the manner in which the lamb was to be offered so peculiarly sets forth the crucifixion of Christ that no other kind of death could by any means have answered all the particulars set down here. First, the lamb was to be slaughtered and its blood caught in a basin. Usually the priest stood at the altar, the Levites or the people slaughtered the lamb and the blood was caught in a golden basin. Then as soon as it was taken, the priest standing by the altar on which the fat was burning threw the blood on the fire or cast it at the foot of the altar. Now you may guess what a scene it was. Ten thousand lambs sacrificed. The blood poured out in a purple river. Next, the lamb was to be roasted, but it was not to have a bone of its body broken. Now I do say, there is nothing but crucifixion which can answer all these three things. Crucifixion has in it the shedding of blood. The hands and feet were pierced. It has in it the idea of roasting, for roasting signifies a long torment. And as the lamb was for a long time before the fire, so Christ, in crucifixion, was for a long time exposed to a broiling sun and all the other pains which crucifixion engenders. Moreover, not a bone was broken, which could not have been the case with any other punishment. Suppose it had been possible to put Christ to death in any other way. Sometimes the Romans put criminals to death by decapitation. But by such a death, the neck is broken. Many martyrs were put to death by having a sword pierced through them. But while that would have been a bloody death and not a bone broken necessarily, the torment would not have been long enough to have been pictured by roasting. So that take whatever punishment you will. Take hanging, which sometimes the Romans practiced in the form of strangling. That mode of punishment does not involve shedding of blood. And consequently, the requirements would not have been answered. And I do think any intelligent Jew reading through this account of the Passover and then looking at the crucifixion must be struck by the fact that the penalty and death of the cross by which Christ suffered must have taken in all these three things. There was bloodshedding, the long continued suffering, the roasting of torture, and then added to that singularly enough by God's providence, not a bone was broken, but the body was taken down from the cross intact. Some might say that burning might have answered the matter, but there would not have been a shedding of blood in that case. The bones would have been virtually broken in the fire. And besides, the body would not have been preserved entire. Crucifixion was the only death which could answer all of these three requirements. And my faith receives great strength from the fact that I see my Savior not only as a fulfillment of the type, but the only one. My heart rejoices to look on him whom I have pierced and see his blood as the lamb's blood sprinkled on my lintel and my doorpost and see his bones unbroken and to believe that not a bone of his spiritual body shall be broken hereafter and rejoice also to see him roasted in the fire because 
Thereby I see that he satisfied God for that roasting which I ought to have suffered in the torment of hell forever and ever. Christian, I would that I had words to depict in better language, but as it is, I give you the undigested thoughts which you may take home and live upon during the week. For you will find this paschal lamb to be an hourly feast as well as supper, and you may feed upon it continually till you come to the mount of God where you shall see him as he is and worship him in the Lamb in the midst thereof. Part 2 will be next time, How We Derive Benefit from the Blood of Christ. Thank you again for listening. And again, I would ask you to look around our site and find something else that will bless you there. I hope so. If you want more fellowship, just contact me at bob.j.faulkner.72 at gmail.com and we can get together perhaps on a Zoom meeting if you like. Well, thank you so much again. This is the Hackberry House of Chosun. This audio is being released on the 2nd of May, 2023. Lord willing, we'll talk again real soon. Bye-bye.